Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons, their stories are noble in fact. Each story into the game is golden. It's way more than just a game. It's a player's story into the pitch and all that she overcame. It's football 2019 and this is its brand new face. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Yo, yo, it's Heath. And my name is Monkey. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We are coming to you live Every single day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 World Cup. And this is what we have for you today. We speak to Dutch forward Vivian Miedemar. Ellie Mindrum with the inside score today is everything you really need to know about Holland. But first of all, we've got a little recap from last night's matches as part of the five things you need to know going into your day. Football Inside Out by Copa 90. So the five things you need to know going into every day. Have some Respect is number one. Don't run up the score. Put some respect on my name. Put some respect on my name. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the U.S. I'm talking about Italy. Five nil. Five nil. Have you ever been in a five nil? It doesn't feel good. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a 13 nil, but a five nil, yes. It still hurts, doesn't it? It still hurts, yeah. yeah. It stings a lot, and it doesn't ever go away, uh, especially in a big competition like this. Uh, number two, four teams have now qualified for the knockout rounds. That's actually really important information. That is France, England... Germany and Italia. Yeah, but the Italy-Jamaica game, I was kind of like, did you see the penalty where the Jamaica goalkeeper, who we really, really like, um, saved the penalty? And they basically replayed the penalty because VAR said she came off her line. See, this is the crutch that we're talking about. Mm. So she did, but it was like, it was it was literally like a foot. And I've seen plenty of, of penalties. But where in the last six months, I would say 95% of penalties, they came off the line early. It is a natural habit of the goalkeepers. Yes, I get when you take yeah. a step, you're naturally via physics cutting the angle off more of the goal. You're making the goal smaller by taking yeah. one step forward. You make the goal smaller naturally. But it's not like they're like jumping way out and it's part of the game. So either do it 100% of the time or 0% of the time. Because I yeah. guarantee you people have left the line in other matches. Have you ever watched the uh, replays of the Champions League final versus, it's like Liverpool, obviously amazing that they came back, Dudek coming off his line like five foot. 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Against Milano. Yeah. yeah. I was I was like, yeah, literally like, he's so he can touch far the, off his he, line. Like. He can reach down and touch the ball right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody say something. Number three, 
It's coming home. No, I don't want to say yeah. it. No, I don't yeah. say it. I no, don't want to say like, it. Come on. Uh, I, I put that in there only because I had my first It's Coming Home celebration after yeah. an England win. It was it was exactly what I'm going for. I've been rallying. I've been rallying because last summer was a special thing for me, being around a bunch of Brits, seeing the team do well. It's truly, truly a fun thing, and I hope that it continues. Yeah, so that, that song got played at the end of the game today. Yeah. We got, I got a bit carried away, if I'm being completely honest. I guarantee you that makes our social channels. Not because we're biased, but because it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, uh, make sure you check out the new Copa 90 store for the latest drops and around the Women's World Cup. Uh, search store.copa90.com. Yeah, Those amazing stuff. I'm trying to get my hands on some. They're not making it as easy as they used to because the, the, the designs are sick. They are sick, but yeah. you're not, you can't get... Mate, we modeled them. Yeah, Come I know. on, come but, on. Do you remember that day? There was only one of each because they were like samples and they were, we were like fighting. We, we were playing like games to get them. Yeah, we Rochambeaud over Yeah, Chelsea Grimes won or yeah, you won. She, no, no, yeah. Chelsea won. Yeah, yeah, Chelsea won. I only call it Rochambeau because I hang out with people from the States, but rock, paper, no, scissors. I call it paper, rock, scissors. Excuse me, what? Yeah. Why? And here's why. Because paper beats rock, rock beats scissors, scissors beats paper. So, so if you say it in order, they all beat each other consecutively as opposed to rock, paper, scissors. Uh, I say paper, rock, scissors. Hey, get on my level. Number five, looking ahead. Netherlands play Cameroon and Canada play New Zealand. Come on, New Zealand. Just, I really want them to get a win. Yeah. I really like New Zealand. I like Canada too. Who do you have in the Netherlands-Cameroon game? Netherlands. Yeah? Yeah, 100%. Because you like... Personally, or are you I just going to win? I just think they have a better squad. Yeah. And I think they're going to nick it. They have enough confidence that they're going to slowly get better. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So, what's up, dude? Weather's getting better here. Yes, 24 degrees today. It's one of those things where it, I complain when it's raining, but I do prefer the cooler weather. When you're walking around cities a lot, I just want it to be where you like never break a sweat. You can find that pace that you can walk out where you're like comfortable, but not hot. This is a very British thing you're doing right now, talking about the weather, but I'm in, I'm involved. I do it all the time. When I was in London for the last month, multiple times people say things like, oh yeah, if there was no wind, it would be perfect today. Or if it was just a few (laughs) degrees warmer, it would be perfect out here. And I was like, that sounds like the most British thing ever. Yeah. Uh, But I I guess it's anywhere that's, that's, uh, but when you hear it multiple times, you start to like associate it with a place where you're like, oh, stereotype them quickly. They all say that. But we actually do. Do you? It's not a stereotype. Yeah. Hey, we've got some emails. Yes. Should we read the first one out? Yes. uh, George, and this is a great, he, he prefaces it. He's really angry. Before, yeah. This has been annoying me since VAR and has been used and has been used in major tournaments. Why, oh, why, oh, why are the referees becoming the center of the drama and attention? Every single decision affecting the game seems to be going to VAR where you have to stare at a bunch of people sat in an office. My proposal is like in tennis and cricket, VAR is limited to a number of appeals per team and things like handball, which is so subjective, or things like handballs, uh, which is so subjective, cannot be considered as part of an appeal process rant over exclamation point. I like the way you signed that off. Also, definitely British because talking about tennis and cricket yeah. is not the first thing you'd get in the US. They would say NFL where you only get a few times you can throw the replay. You can call for a replay as a coach. Okay, and if you get it okay. right, or if you appeal and you get it wrong, you lose one, but something like that. Definitely British because it's a rant. We're quite yeah. good at that. Yeah. Um, so what do we think? I, I kind of agree with George Ryan on the on the proposal. I think that could sort of strike a good balance between making the game still move faster and still having a chance to make right of a human error. But 
the appeals would be by the teams then? I don't know. I mean, if I'm, if I'm talking for the FA, then yeah, I guess so. The other, the other team. Right. So a play happens, goes down. I'm convinced as the coach or our staff is convinced. Let's have another look at that. I can say something happened there. Run it back. Yeah. And... But also at the same time, if who who makes that shot? Because if you're the coach that's making that shot, you're so far away from the action. You're going to have to rely on your players on the pitch who are going to have to be extremely sure. But I'm sure they well, the, would call it. If this is why extreme it, sure. this is why it works in the NFL though, is because it's a start stop sport. So like yeah. every time the the play stops, you can call a timeout. Right. You have 24 seconds to the next next clock or 30 seconds or something to the next play. There's a certain amount of time to the next play. And then everyone like comes back and huddles yeah. and talks to the coach and they're and, like And the coaches are on like headsets the whole yeah, the whole match. And yeah. and obviously it's over over the last like six, seven years or however long it's been now with re- video review, maybe longer, it's become a science as to how you use it and when because they're definitely receiving information from people who've seen some sort of replays. I was first. gonna say, are they are they watching their own replays of what's going on? I, on like I think, iPads and well, stuff. Well they have the, they have the it, like half of their coaching staff is up at like at like bird's eye view looking yeah. down so they can see certain things and then sort of hedge their bets on on that view then they get instant access they get like literally printers print out plays constantly in the matches for them yeah. to look at and then sort of make a decision they obviously don't have all the angles that you would have uh, that the referees would have access to but maybe that wouldn't work then i think var is here to stay obviously yeah i just think there needs to be something with it that makes it so that we can hold the refs accountable to, to some human error, to some decision-making instead of it being like, we've talked about so many times, like just leave your flag down because we have this thing called VAR that will save the day for us. Yeah. I feel like this competition in particular is probably, I feel like the game's been stopped the most for VAR. Yeah. It feels I've seen the most insecurities come out of VAR via this tournament so far. So they've most insecure, like using it to its fullest extent of the law in this one, rather than, other levels of confidence that I think come with uh, some of the other competitions that have used it, whether that's the amount of times that they've used it because they go through training, but if these referees haven't used VAR for hours and hours and hours, it is a learning process as you go. Right. Yeah. And I heard that they only decided to actually use VAR like six months ago. Right. So like, you know, the process of having to train people in six months compared to people that have been using it for however long it's been out. Um, or been training for how, how like behind the scenes for longer. It's a bit of a scramble, I felt like. But you know, I'm glad it's here. It should be in this competition. Yeah. Um, we have another one. Yeah. James says, uh, who has brought the filth the most so far in the group stages? The dirt. Is that what you said? The, the, the proper badass street football style skills. Who's dripping the art of naughty football? These are definitely sense. sent early in the morning because there's a few typos yeah. in these, you know, and I read everything I see instead of just seeing th- like reading through it first and then saying what it says. Like but Ron Burgundy. I would say Brazil. Yeah, Brazil's had like six megs. They had like yeah. six megs in the last match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, number six or wh- whatever her name was, was absolutely disgusting. She, got sm- she smoked yeah. one of their outside back players. And I didn't go back to see it again to see if it was the same girl a couple times that just got absolutely annihilated. But usually you go off the pitch and you announce your international retirement if somebody makes <laughs> you like that. Because also it's one thing when there's a Meg and it plays on and the game can, carries over. One of those led to a Meg to a through ball to a cross and a goal, goal and, yeah. and a dunk cam goal, like posterizing somebody. Yeah. And usually that's the sign where it's like, you are like your soul leaves your body at that point and you can no longer, it's like in New York and the basketball, like in the basketball courts where it's like, if somebody crosses you up or makes you fall down, like they 
you're pretty much not allowed to go back to that court ever again. <laughs> the shame is real. Yeah, you're infamous. I mean, she ra- she ran up to the player and like not side on. Her, she was asking for it. Yeah. You can't run up to a Brazilian player like that. You're to, asking for it. To be fair, though, uh, I'll show you got the final laugh. They did. They did. They did. In that match. So sometimes you just got to let uh, the game itself or the goals, the, the final results. No one will remember. Well, actually, you always remember Megs, but I'll show you did well to win that one. Yeah. I mean, they won't care about it now, yeah. so that's fine. So, yeah, the games today, a very, very good player is playing today, an Arsenal player, Vivian Miedemar. Yes. What was the score? They scraped a 1-0 win against New Zealand last time, didn't they? Man, I was kind of gutted for New Zealand. I really wanted to win. I really wanted them to win their first game. Now it's hard for them. It was in the 90 plus, right? That they got scored on? 92nd minute. 92nd. Yeah. Yeah. Holland have a lot of attacking power. So I'm surprised that it took them that long to score. What do you think the, the, um, the, the score is going to be today? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I think Netherlands win. I, I don't think Cameroon was all that impressive to me. They were another scrappy team. They were tough to play against, but I think the Netherlands in the attack, I mean, their front three is Lika Martins, Miedema, and Van... Van de, I, I'm How's your Dutch? I'm going to get her name wrong. <laughs> but she's, she's the, the short hair, bleached, all kinds of crazy colors, like the yeah. craziest style in the game. Yeah, yeah. She's got it's really sick style. Print, yeah. Print, uh, um, style. Yeah, but them three are three of the best kind of attackers in the world, so... Yeah, and New Zealand have to win their game against Canada. So I think they'll give them a good fight, though. You think so? I think so, yeah. I think they were unlucky against Netherlands. And I don't think... um, I think they'll still be going into that Canada game confident because they know that they could have won that um, the game against the Netherlands. So I don't think it'll be too dampening on them. Do you think Canada played well? Like, do you you like Canada against New Zealand? Do you think New Zealand can get a result? Do I like Canada versus New Zealand? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Canada... They haven't, they haven't been super overwhelming, to be honest. Right. What was that opening game? That opening game was against Cameroon, wasn't it? Canada-Cameroon was Canada, their opening Cameroon. game, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so- yeah, that was the one where it, I, the goal could have been called back because the Canadian player was blocking the goalkeeper's kind of run yes. to, the, to the ball, and VAR yeah. didn't get used, and that's when it should have. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a really good game, New, New Zealand versus Canada. I hit up Abby Ersig, um the other actually today because I went to the gym today and she puts up these really cool uh, videos on her Instagram like if you need help training and my little tiny legs have trouble with them sometimes so I messaged her and I was like can you give me any tips and she was kind enough to give me a bunch of exercises to do did she send you a bill no really yeah just free just free free PT from an international that's not a great business model come on mates rates okay that's fair I don't know if I can call them 20 to 30 percent off then yeah yeah there Maybe are, I have to play like a DJ set. Like she was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, there is no free lunch. It's definitely going to come back and be like, oh, um, I'm getting married and we don't have a DJ. DJ yeah, canceled. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a destination wedding. I'm going to need you to fly out tomorrow for yeah. this. It always comes back. Or you're going to have to like chop somebody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they do in the movies anyway. Come back and ask you to have to take someone down. Hopefully, the first thing. Yeah. Um, so our first icons package this week, or this today rather, is from Vivian Miedemar. Hashtag, hashtag copper 90 icons. I am Fifiana Miedemar, 
22 years old. I play for Arsenal and for the Dutch national team. Obviously, it's been quite a big journey so far. Uh, I started playing football when I was five years old. My dad always used to play football, so I didn't really have a choice. I had to play football as well. And I've played in Holland till I was 18. Then I moved to Bayern Munich there three years. And now this is my second season at Arsenal. Now, obviously, we found out our national team squad when we were still in camp. So we all got put in a big room and they showed us on the screen. Uh, this is going to be the 23 players going to the World Cup. So we kind of expected to be in the team already because we obviously had that team through the whole week. And I think for some people, it was still really nervous. For me, it really wasn't but um yeah it's just excitement you're just really excited to go to the world cup and i think everyone felt the exact same way so when i was 17 i obviously got my first call up for the national team uh, i remember i still played for herofein and i was quite close to my coach at that moment and she called me in and she was like i got a call last night and you're called up for the national team and i couldn't really believe it because i really wasn't concentrated on that but I think that was one of the best feelings I've ever had in football just to get a call for your national team and to get into camp the next week after was just amazing. I think the biggest difference for me playing for Arsenal or national team is that obviously women's football in Holland is really big. They love our national team right now. So we play our games in front of 30,000 people, which obviously is a really big difference comparing to Arsenal. And I think it's really special to play for your home country and to be there, get supports. And um, yeah, playing for Arsenal is amazing as well. Uh, I'm really lucky to be at this club. Uh, we play amazing football. But yeah, that national team atmosphere is amazing and you want that as, like, for your club team as well. When I was younger, obviously the national team wasn't really that famous and big, so we didn't really know what was going on. And um, I watched the Euros 2009 on TV, so that was basically the first time when I realized, oh, we've got a national team. And I never really, I can't remember going to live games. Uh, the first time I was at a game was when I played myself. So I think that's quite special. But um, while I said like young girls growing up right now, they all know about us and they come to our games and we're big examples. And I think that's something amazing. And I love being a hero for the little girls growing up right now. I think the most surreal moment in my career so far has probably been the Euros. Uh, we obviously played in Holland, we had a lot of pressure, but it was absolutely amazing. Uh, coming to the final and then just realizing, oh, we've won the Euros. It's just something you didn't believe at that moment. And right now, I still think it's quite hard sometimes to believe we won the Euros. And it's something that we're never going to forget ever and that Holland will always remember. Obviously, I think in football and especially women's football, it's really important to like make your own brand, to become big as a player. Um, I think in men's football, obviously, it's the biggest sport in the world. People know you no matter where you play. People directly know who you are. And in women's football, that is starting to grow right now. And I think the best way is to publish yourself and to uh, open up projects, to have a little football day. I, for example, in Holland have a football day for all kids who can come. And I brought out six or seven different books already right now. So yeah, it's personal branding a lot. And I think that is going to change in the next coming years. But right now, it's just a really big part of the game. And I think that's how women football players actually become really famous towards other people. If I didn't become a footballer, I would probably still study right now because I'm still young, obviously. Uh, I really liked history in school. I think no one likes it, but I did. And I would probably like start studying history or even law school I've been thinking about. So I don't know where I would end up, but I'm really happy that I became a footballer because I've got no idea.
when we obviously arrive at the World Cup, uh, you kind of get in your own bubble and you don't really know what's going on around you anymore. And once we've got off days during the tournament or in pre-season to watch the tournament, um, we kind of stay in the hotel. Family is allowed to come in. So sometimes you ask friends or family to come over just to like, switch off for a bit. Or, I mean, I'm a massive football fan, so I watch football all day long. And um, in summer, it's obviously quite hard to watch football. But if then Hong Kong is playing against Beijing, I'm totally fine with like watching that game as well. So, and I think we've got quite a good group. So we play a lot of games together. Um, we even start puzzling, all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's just to keep yourself busy and not to just get totally bored during the tournament. Um, I think what football has gave me the most is that I became uh, a different person. I grew up really fast. I was obviously 15 when I started playing with women who were already 30, 32 years old. So that was a really big step for me. And um, I'm 22 now. Sometimes I feel like I'm 30. But nah, I think it's really helped me as a person. I speak three languages. I've been in three different cultures. And I think I can only grow as a person the next couple of years. Copper 90. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, there you have it. She is so talented. A very interesting mix of accents in yeah. English when she talks. Definitely not North London, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely a bit of Scottish in there. Yeah. That's cool. That's a funny twang. You were just saying while we were listening to that, that one of the three languages she speaks is probably Scottish. Yeah, Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> she does have some Scottish words that come out. It's obviously probably coming from her influence from her roommate, uh, Lisa Evans. Yeah, so English... Uh, Dutch and Scottish, yeah. she speaks fluently. <laughs> and then maybe German would be her fourth <laughs> after playing in Germany. But yeah, uh, so cool. She was really down to earth. She carries a, bit, a little bit of a different confidence than some of the other players, a little bit more, I don't want to say humble because they're all quite humble, but just a little bit of a swag to her when in person, especially that she kind of knows how good she is. And she's got that, conf- like in a really cool way, like a really... Not over the top. She's not try hardy. She's just kind of got that 
like a chill way. Yeah, she like seems a, super like, chill. Like I'm a fucking boss kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but she she was really chill. She, she every time we went into the kitchen of their house, they were like she offered us like tea or coffee or cereal. <laughs> Great host. <laughs> they're like we don't have a lot. We have toast and cereal in here. Uh, Did you tea. take some toast? No, I felt a bit weird taking toast. I did sit on their couch comfortably. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to be like, can, can I get a little butter on that too? I'm like, uh, just a little bit more butter, please. <laughs> she studied history, she said, but obviously ended up playing football. What would, what would you have done if you didn't play football? Did you study anything? Yeah, you, you went. Oh, I just, I actually, education. <laughs> I went back and got my degree after I stopped playing. So oh, yeah, I, I got it in operations management. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't for real, like a specific reason why I want to do it. I just spoke to somebody who like is like a trend forecaster for global growth yeah. over the next 20 or 30 years. And they were like, well, we need, we're going to need more people in the medical field, engineering, and then project and operations management, uh, management to sort of like oversee growth of the world, whether it's projects or operationally uh, with everything that's happening around the world. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, and finance, obviously. I, I didn't really want I wasn't really intrigued by finance engineering it was an on-campus school but you could take all the classes online but in order to do an engineering degree which i actually originally wanted you had to do two or three of the courses on campus right. and i was never going to have time to where did you do were you still playing football at the time no i was done After. i was uh, yeah well i was at copa 90 actually oh, okay. i just finished last may so a year ago congratulations thank you <laughs> it was it was a lot of work how long did it take Two and a half years. Blimey. Yeah. That is literally going back, like going back to uni. But it's like an accelerated program. So you take it uh, two classes at a time for eight weeks. Mm. And then you go immediately into the next two classes. So one class is, is part-time, two classes is full-time. You can't take more than that. And it ends up putting you on a track to take two extra classes per year, which if you were like on campus would be what we call 18 credits, which is very rare that people do but this makes it a lot easier to do so it's eight week intensive courses that's going to be a bit of a running theme as we see players get a bit older they're going a lot of them will end up going back to school and studying i found it really interesting because there's a lot of stuff that i wish i had cared about when i was actually in college yeah. as a as like a student athlete that i didn't because i just wanted to play football then now i've gone back and learned it and there was so i learned in classes that like i just need to pass this because i'll never have an interest in this class like English writing was like one where I was just like, had no interest in that, mm. like proper writing of, of the English language. English lit. But other stuff within like business and, and marketing and all these things that, you've, that I'm now using and learning in real time post-career were really interesting to learn. So you can kind of dive in and really put your time and effort into learning something. Like you're learning as you actually do it and it's interesting to you as opposed to being 18 and not knowing at all what yeah. interests you and just doing it because you're supposed to be in school and you're supposed to be passing your classes. Yeah, I think learning is more fun as you get older and everything because you also get to pick and choose what you do what would, rather than being... What would you study? I have no idea. I never... I only made it out of um, high... I guess what you would call high school. Music I, theory. Music theory, yeah. yeah. But like not the last two years of high school. So we okay. call that college. Yeah. I did I did college for like six months, but I didn't get any sort of degree. I didn't get any qualifications from it. Right. So I left school early. So I'm not sure. I don't think studying was, was for me, to be honest. I just didn't fit very well in the education system because of the way that we're taught in the UK. Um, I'm just not very good at learning that way. Yeah. So it's hard. It's a hard one. I th the, the universal teaching system is broken for sure, especially I can't speak for the UK or, or, or globally, but in the US, like education is extremely broken. Mm -hmm. And 
I know we've mentioned this a, a little bit, but I don't think college is for everyone. There's so, the, technology has gifted us so many opportunities for people to, and, and again, I'm speaking from a very, a, a very privileged place of my background of having access to technology, but at least in first world opportunities, there are so many opportunities out there that don't require you to have a degree or a set amount of debt when you finish college to be qualified to learn a skill or, or trade or become really, really good at something. Yeah, I think I actually learned a lot playing sport without even realizing that I was learning, especially like socially. And those are things that are kind of priceless. Well, they say that most bigger businesses enjoy hiring student athletes out of college because not because of the the accolades or things like that is because you learn something when you work within a team you learn sort of how to give how to take and you're very usually self-driven and take direction well having had a boss for most of your life of playing sport and all those things that actually do apply into the workplace are why people uh, are inclined to look closer at former athletes or people that have played in group sports yeah i don't know what i would have studied if i went back now Maybe something in sport, but like sports business, something like that, I reckon. I'm really into history, but I'm not into history, like reading history books. Like every time that I've gone into like the, on like a binge of like history and I want to learn more and more and more, I'll buy like a history book, it's like 700 pages and I'll do like 10. I'll be like, not for me. (laughs) Can you make it in seven minutes and put it on YouTube? (laughs) Can I watch this on Netflix and do a test afterwards? Yeah, exactly. Like I think I, I, I think I there's just certain things that I can't follow or track that I lose interest pretty quickly on it. But yeah, maybe uh, history is interesting. It's though. always interesting to see what players do after their career. I think, cause I mean, a lot of people get coaching badges. A lot of people go into, I mean, not a lot of people go into punditry or media because there's only so many places to, to be filled in that, in that environment. So there's actually, it's quite limited, I guess. Well, that's why I took the job. This, that's why I decided to move on in my career because I knew that in five years, the game was going to be at a rate that there would be another me that took this place already. And there's yeah. only, it's very limited opportunities. And then most people in sport will go into like coaching or they'll be a teacher or they'll you know, work in front office with a club or with a league or a federation and those types of things. And, and those are also limited roles, right? To get within your club, you have to have some sort of status with that club, probably as yeah. like being a club legend. If you're going to be a technical director, you also have to have a certain level of like education to handle, whether it's general management or things like that. So, did you hire this uh, ambulance <laughs> to sit right on top of our bunker? I don't uh, know what is going on upstairs. Yeah, it's a good thing they could never find us here because yeah, we're no. so far below so far down. the earth. Yeah, I think Alex Scott has done a wicked job of like making that move into punditry. Wow, it's really going off outside. Yeah. We're right by the Pompidou, by the way. So there's like a lot of um, protests and stuff yeah. being going on uh, up and down this road for the last week or so. Yeah. I, I think I joined in one the other day, just didn't even just, know I was in it. <laughs> like, follow that crowd. They're walking faster. <laughs> they're, they're, they can get through this sea of cars quicker. Yeah, I kind of got like dragged into it like a river of people slowly yeah. ended up down the street. I was like, where am I? I was wondering where all those new tattoos came from. You're now part <laughs> of a, a, a cult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might get one while I'm here, you know, a tattoo. They were doing human branding. Yeah. Here in Paris like last right weekend. Outside. They had this march and protest so for vegans? animal rights, yeah. I believe. And they were one of the things that they were doing was taking branding that they brand cattle with and branding People. each other. Yeah. And they were they were videotaping it, right? Showing them like 
squirming and all of that, which was a really intense scene. It was intense. I saw the video online and they were also playing like, um, I guess, audio from wherever they, I don't know what the word is, where they kill animals for food. What's the word? Yeah. Slaughterhouse. Yeah, yeah, slaughterhouse. They were playing them really loud over the over speakers outside. Oh, that's, that's I mean, it was pretty brutal. to each their own. But one of the things I would find the hardest about leading those marches is the person who's on the stage with the microphone, who's sort of like the MC of the whole thing, where they're like, when I say, ooh, you say, ah, ooh, ah. And they have to do that for hours because it's like a march that goes on for hours and they're trying to like, you repeat what they say and they'll say a line and then somebody says a line and you have to just constantly think of a new line. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect what th- they were doing up there, but like that would be a really long day. It's a hard job. Especially when like people are just like, we've already said that. Respect we're tired person. of yelling. Do you think you they've know? got like some lemon and manuka honey under, I oh, know not honey because they're vegan, so that won't be a thing. That's lemon. right. You yeah. can't have honey. No, just lemon, just lemon and water yeah. straight up. But yeah, they have to come up with different lyrics. Lyrical geniuses. Yeah. I don't have to have the word. Seems like a long day of yelling. Um, (laughs) But while we're still on a little bit of, I guess we're past the history part, but uh, with a little bit of history, a country that has plenty of history uh, is Holland. We have an inside score from Ellie on Holland now. Whilst France 2019 is only the second World Cup the Dutch have qualified for, thanks to the progress made since their debut at the tournament only four years ago, the side now ranked eighth in the world who qualified by winning playoffs against European heavyweights Denmark and Switzerland, head into France believing anything is possible. Still shaking off the metaphorical confetti of a dreamlike 2017 that saw the women's team become the toast of the nation, thanks to a shock Euro 2017 title, they won in front of their own public. And the adulation for the team was only boosted by the fact they won the tournament in the middle of a dark era for the men's game, where the boys had failed to qualify for both the World Cup and an expanded Euros. And whilst the idea of a side lifting the trophy and only their second appearance at the tournament seems almost preposterous, you could have said the same thing ahead of their campaign at Euro 2017. And with a squad boasting a trio of stars from recent Women's Super League winners Arsenal, European Cup winners from Lyon, as well as 2017 Women's Player of the Year Lika Martens, the fact of the matter is, the Dutch can beat anyone on their day. But when it comes to the Dutch, here's what really matters. Inside Inside School. Anyone who's seen Holland in early May where literally millions take to the streets to celebrate the famous King's Day, know the Dutch love a party. And we all know that football plays a near religious role in the country that sees icons Rinus Michels, Johan Cruyff and Dennis Bergkamp hold roles as near deity figures in the country's identity. But even the most well-read in Dutch culture would have been taken aback by the scenes that played out across the country during the summer of 2017, as the Dutch public fell head over heels for a side that was barely a blip on the radar only a few months prior. Whilst hosting the tournament was always going to create a little extra interest, due to a late change of coach and an underwhelming performance at their first World Cup two years prior, the Dutch public's feelings towards the Women's Euro 2017 was less overwhelming anticipation and more positive curiosity. But by the time the first game was over and the Dutch Leuvenen, meaning lionesses, had defeated tournament favourites Norway, the Dutch public were hooked and the tournament became the talk of the entire nation where all six Netherlands games sold out for an aggregate attendance of 110,897, a record for a single nation at a UEFA Women's Euro tournament. As the team progressed deeper and deeper into the tournament, the love for the girls just grew stronger and stronger 
in stark contrast with the men's side, who at the time had become a source of national shame due to their failure to even qualify for their equivalent of the tournament a year prior. By the time the girls had made the final, TV ratings suggested a staggering 8 out of 10 people in the country had tuned in to watch the team do the previously unthinkable and win the tournament. The scenes afterwards were just as impressive, where tens of thousands took the streets of Utrecht to serenade the team on their trophy parade. This was followed by the country's Prime Minister spraying the team with champagne as the players danced to the song, You Won't Take the Smile Off My Face, an anthem now synonymous with that summer and the team. Whilst the men's team have resumed normal service, the enthusiasm for the women's team hasn't died down, with huge numbers expected to travel to France to support the girls. And if the girls can somehow replicate their achievements of 2017 and lift that title that even the great Dutch men's teams of the 70s and 80s could never do, then that anthem, You Won't Take the Smile Off My Face, might just go from being the sound of summer 2017 to the sound of all Dutch football. Wow. Eight out of 10 people in the country watching that. I can't even get eight out of 10 of my family to watch <laughs> me play <laughs> no, can I? Uh, in, in a match. There's been a lot of talk about these crowds. Uh, you know, when we had uh, Miedema was talking about just the big crowds that they play in front of 30,000. And then we just heard there just the attendance that they brought in in the Euros. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest crowd you've played in front of? Um, Whether music or football? Music is def definitely the biggest crowd I've played in front of. Football, probably only like 100 or something. Really? And then, yeah, but I've, I'm, I reckon that will change next season because we just merged with a new club who has a quite big fan base yeah big up that's gonna Chamis. be sick yeah i'm really excited because the like the rare few times i had played in front of football and played in front of a crowd like it makes the game so different yeah you know when people are screaming at you i i love it i love it and then music probably about 10 or twelve thousand. were yeah. you nervous are you yeah. still nervous when it's that big? No, yes and no. It's weird. It's so weird because it's such a big sea of people. You don't like, you kind of look, just look into the distance. You don't, you don't look people in the eyes because there's just so many people. So it's like a really weird, it's a kind of a weird feeling. But I think that summer I'd done, I'd done quite a lot of gigs and I was kind of just like prepared now for for all these big crowds. So, yeah. yeah. It was the same. Uh, yeah, it's sort of similar for me in football. Obviously, when it's really, really loud on the football, like when it, I, I've played in front of like 80 or 90,000, yeah. it's just a hum and you can't even hear yourself think because it's that loud and crazy and you can't communicate with each other. And I remember experiencing that for the first time being like a super foreign experience because I was in Denmark and you could communicate and you could use all the things to yeah, your advantage. Can you guys still like hear each other clearly on the pitch? Well, yeah. Like when I was playing in Denmark at the time, most of the stadiums were like ten to 20,000 seaters. And even if they were full, you could still communicate with each other if you yelled loud enough. And then right. I played my first sort of big national team match, which is was in Dortmund against Germany before the 2006 World Cup. And I subbed into that match with like 20-something minutes left to play. And I remember screaming around me. And no one could hear a word I was saying. And I yeah. couldn't hear anybody. And it just, it, it brought a whole new level of respect for me for the top level players who play regularly having to play with their eyes because they don't have, they, they don't have the ability like we did in certain stadiums to use communication to make the game easier. They yeah. had to just know where to be and when to be there. And I was just like, wow, it's another level when you see Champions League uh, and they're playing in front of 80,000 every single week or 70,000 and you can't, you're not actually communicating with each other on the pitch. You just have to know where you're supposed to be, which is why you start to see 
all the boring stuff that happens in training pay off of yeah. just like tactically yeah. moving side to side, distances between the gaps and spaces between each player on the pitch and that kind of stuff. You need synergy. Team synergy. Yeah. Um, I've got some day in numbers for you. Do you? Yes, I do. I'm excited. Okay, let's start off with this one. 1995. 1995 was the, well, this could be a lot of things. So it was a World Cup year. Norway won the World Cup. Or it could be uh, the first World Cup of Formiga. Um, I think that is actually correct. A correct fact. But the one that I've got written down is Brazil suffered their first defeat in World Cup group stages since 1995. Oh, wow. I okay. had no idea. That is a huge gap Me in a group stage. I mean, they're hugely dominant, which is why I think the story with them is always, are they going to live up to the expectation of being literally the best or one of the best in the world on yeah. a regular basis? Um, nine. Vague. I'll give you a clue. Nine, nine people. Nine people. Mm. I was going to say, did you know that uh, Heather O'Reilly actually wore number nine? Oh, yeah. did she? Yeah, she wore the nine. Yeah. Um, nine people. Mm. Uh, the amount of people that have scored a hat trick in Women's World Cup history. Again, that could be right, but I'm not sure. But actually, it was a bit of a clue, but not exactly. So nine is the amount of head women coaches in the tournament. Wow. I believe the majority of, oh, I think all but one maybe World Cups have been won by a female coach. Oh, really? Yeah. That is a fact check to have. I, I, Ellie had said it in one of his crazy, crazy uh, inside scores that uh, the primarily been the most successful have been women in the women's sport. Hey, uh, do you know that Dick Kerr thing, the Dick Kerr ladies thing that yeah. I said on podcast? I was right. Were you? Yeah, it was a, it was a factory team. So just a re real quick recap of what that was. I can't remember what the... Uh, oh, yeah, it was the first time that the French national women's team went to play abroad, I think, and they played England and it got got defeated 2-0 against Dick Kerr's ladies, which was a factory team from the First World War, I believe. Yeah. Um, anyway, last one, 25 million. 25 million has to be the... That must be the global uh, tune-in for uh, the, the global tune-in for France's second match? No, it was a tune-in, but it was not the global number. It was America. Oh, the number well, of 25 people. 25 million, that makes no sense. <laughs> uh, that's almost disrespectful that I didn't see that, like think that one out loud. But... Wow. So. Yeah. The number of people in the United States who tuned in to watch the 2015 World Cup final between USA and Japan, making it the most watched women's game ever. Wait, so the Brazil one was the second most that happened this tournament? Uh, what was the number on that? Do you know? Do you remember? 22? Was it yeah. 22? So it was just behind the final. I guess then. so. That's I incredible. So. That is That's what big. you call growth. That is growth. That's a group stage match. I know. Yeah. That was only the... The first game? The second game? Anyway. First game, I think. Game. Yeah, but it's add that to the megs and we're creating a recipe for some global success here. Uh, so that is it for today, Football Inside Out. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and five stars. Yes, and subscribe to the daily newsletter that's going out during the tournament. Head to copa90.com slash WC19 and clip 
Click or tap on Copa 90 France Daily to sign up. And get in touch because we would love to hear from you again, like George Ryan, big up yourself. Uh, Football Inside Out at Copa90.com. We want to hear all your rants and tweet us using the hashtag, hashtag Copa90 Inside Out. Goodbye. Bye. Copa 90, Football Inside Out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.